1: In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may
0: vary. Here's
1: a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
2: On Gone Medieval from History Hit, we set out to solve the biggest mysteries of the medieval age. So many of these travelers who went out looking for Prester John, what did they think they were hearing? Using science to identify our buried ancestors
3: genetic signatures found in present-day Ashkenazi Jewish populations were
1: shared by the genetic ancestries we found in these individuals.
3: And reveal the answers to centuries-old riddles.
1: I stand up straight in a bed, I'm hairy at my base, and I make the ladies cry. The solution is an onion.
3: I'm Matt Lewis, and every
2: Tuesday and Friday you can join me to travel the medieval world in search of the stories you haven't heard, and to get under the skins of the ones you have. Gone Medieval from History Hit. Twice a week, every week. Listen and follow on Apple, Spotify, or
3: wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Cunning Cast with me, Tony Robinson, and this is probably the nerdiest thing I've ever said in the world. I love the National Census. Do you remember filling it in a while ago? I certainly did mine. I've said that I live with my wife and my dog and had to fill in things about age and ethnicity. And I don't think I've ever been asked before about my sexual orientation. I've filled that one in. And all that data that we shared, who we live with and everything, has been crunched by the clever people at the Office of National Statistics. And this is perfect timing because we've not only got the 2021 census, we've got the 1921 census census that is just becoming available to us all the details about that and the clever experts at the national archive have been working on that so i thought it'd be really smart if we could reflect on the similarities and changes that we see from the census now and a hundred years ago so i'm going to nose around that census data and find out what it says about us and indeed why it matters because i really think it does Melissa, my producer,
1: is here for a chat, as usual. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Tony. So, well, you kind of said why the census. You're a, ner- you're a secret nerd. Is yeah, that right?
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you think about it, it's like the census is taking a snapshot of a whole country on one day. And you've got the, the, those snapshots ten years apart. And it's not paid for by the government or anything. It, it's as objective as these things can be. I think that's really wonderful for anyone interested in in history or even just if you're interested in your own area
1: and tell me what area you might be interested in
3: well I'll be interested in Hackney because not just because it's where I was born but my mum and dad were born there and I can trace Hackney Robinson's back for best part of 300 years so yeah that'll be what I'll want to know about
1: don't forget to ask them that
3: I won't (laughs) I probably will but then you'll call me from the other side of the studio
1: don't forget to ask them that
3: You might think that the census is something that is only for nerds, well you might be right if you think that, and that there isn't much to say about it, but honestly we all got here about 20 minutes before this podcast was due to start and we all just sat down and have been talking to each other about the census. For those of you who don't know what it is, it happens once every 10 years, it's like a kind of snapshot of life in our country, like as though someone's taken a picture on one day in a particular year. And I'm just rifling through my notes. See how unprepared I am, just <laughs> because we've been talking all the time. Uh, John Roth Smith from the Office of National Statistics and Jasmine Carlson from the National Archive. Am I allowed to call you Jess?
1: Yes, that's fine. Thanks.
3: Great. Uh, John. Can you explain in a bit more detail what the national census is? And then I'll explain why I love it so much. Uh, census, you described it
2: really well, actually, that snapshot in time that gives us that picture. And it's I always think that that, that 10 year cycle of a 10 year picture is a really nice sort of time frame to, for, for things to, have, to see change over time. But It's basically why we run a census is very much about um, providing local services and planning and making sure that we're making decisions as a country, both sort of in the public sector but also in the private sector to be able to make decisions about where services go. But you're not bossed about by the <coughs> government when you formulate this, are you? No, 100% we aren't. So every at the start of the census cycle we consider what questions we should put on the census and we do an engagement exercise where we ask the public and government departments and, and everybody who wants to participate what we should collect on the census. We've got limited space. We 're not influenced by by government at all that is simply a, simply an exercise that we undertake ourselves and we balance kind of user need and whether you can get the numbers elsewhere obviously we're asking tens of millions of people these questions so we can't we don't have space for for asking everything generally though
3: what kind of knowledge is it that that you're after from the census?
2: The census is all about statistics and producing statistics. So it's not about making individual decisions about individual people. We're not allowed to do that, in fact. We're all basically about understanding local communities, national patterns, national trends. And what's great about the census is it allows us not to just consider how old people are, but consider in kind of different dimensions. So how old people are, their health, their employment, their travel to work... And it allows us to do that at a really granular level. I'm going to probably make about 15 uh, pitches for people listeners, to, to go and have a look at our census maps, because uh, those are really exciting things that we've developed this time, where people can just get into the data, go onto our website, census maps, dive into the numbers and look and explore the data that they're most interested in, be it decisions about whether they want to start a new shop or just interested in their local, where they live or where they might be going to, where they're going on holiday or what have you. It's all about putting those data into the public domain so people can see that picture, the rich picture of,
3: of, of where they live. Jess, how long has this census stuff been going on for?
1: The census, as we, I guess we can see it now, really has its roots in the ones that started in 1801. So between 1801 and 1831, there was a uh, decennial census, but the data was very much kept at, um, at number level, you didn't have personal information. What so was that
3: word decennial? That means once every 10 years? Once every 10
1: years. Yeah. Um, so from 1841 onwards we have the census that we we would recognise now. It has a name, it has an address, it has um, a sex and in 1841 they first asked um, whether you were born in the county or outside of it. And then from 1851 until 1901 really the form, the household schedule that people are filling in or being helped to fill in pretty much looks the same between
3: 1851 and 1901 Why? What was it for? Did people think it was just snooping? Did they think that it was about the taxman
1: checking that you were paying enough for your house? So it's much harder to get a sense of that from the records that we have for England, Wales, Channel Islands and the Isle of Man which is when I'm talking about census the the one that I mean Um, our colleagues in Scotland at National Records of Scotland are the experts on the census for Scotland and there are also censuses for Ireland but the reason that it's harder to tell is that because between 1841 and 1901 when we're looking at the census we're actually looking at the enumerators copybooks. so we're not, we're not looking at the form that your ancestor or mine filled in at home or had helped to fill in we are looking at a collation of those records brought together and copied out by someone else And then from 1911 and for 1921, the record we're looking at for England and Wales is the the individual household schedule or the institutional schedule. And by 1921, I think there were 27 different types of form, depending on where you lived, whether you lived on a vessel or whether you lived in a house or whether you were in an institution or whether your first language was English or Welsh. What do you mean by an institution? A hospital, a school, boarding school, a workhouse. So uh, does that mean
3: you could appear on, on more... More than one census.
1: The idea was that you shouldn't, that um, because, as John mentioned, the census is a, is a snapshot in time. It is who is in that place on that night. Um, and in 1921, actually, ha- it had moved. It was supposed to be April. The census is traditionally done in the spring, but in 1921, there was quite a lot of industrial unrest, and in order to stop that unrest interfering with the the proper processing of the census, they moved it to June, which threw up other problems because the weather was unseasonably good on the weekend of the census in 1921, and lots of people went to the seaside. So it threw out the data, and this comes up in discussion in the Royal Statistical Society and in in statistical journals in the 20s. What, you
3: mean that on that day, Southend was the
1: biggest city in Uh, the whole of the United Kingdom? Not quite, but the population was up by 64% on the previous census in Blackpool. It was up by 50% in Southend, and curiously, it was up something like 46% in Hendon. Haven't quite got to the bottom of what people to flock to Hendon. It's people moving around and actually that's the really important thing when you're looking at the census from a historical point of view or, or from a genealogical perspective is you have to remember this isn't exactly how people live their lives through all of that time, it's where they were yeah, on early. one night at a moment in time. So if it is a
3: particularly hot day that's really going to skew yeah. the information yeah. that you get. And
1: also because it's summer you're getting things like um, London County Council ran lots of schemes for children who lived in poverty to help them to get fresh air, to to help them to get to the seaside for a week, to get them out of those difficult circumstances they were living in. So quite a lot of those schemes are in play at that point in time because it's summer and the weather's nice. So that's the moment at which they, people are away, essentially.
3: I still haven't got a picture of why it started, what the rationale was.
1: It's simply government wanting to know who's in the country, where they're living, how they're living. And then it's an increasingly detailed series of questions about what those people's lives look Mm. like. So really, this is happening at the time when the craze for recording
3: everything... Is going on isn't it you're recording butterflies geology archaeology and even how many people there are in the street
1: yeah and that's grown over this this period of time that that type of interest as I said those questions become more detailed although actually the 1921 census is the first census where they have taken out questions that hasn't happened before hmm. but in the 1921 sorry, in the 1911 census they'd included a new column around marital fertility and that was taken out around
3: marital fertility have you
1: got have you got fruity ovaries (laughs) well they're interested in what life of the family looks like so they're interested in infant mortality they're interested in how many children are being born to marriages so I knew that one of my great grandmothers um, was one of two children or so we thought she was certainly one of two surviving children because when we looked at the 1911 census it said number of years married 22 number of children born to the marriage 8 number of children still living two and that's we didn't know about those six children six, i I, I have one child i cannot imagine having eight children and losing six of them so it's that that kind of interest and then in the 1921 that column is removed the other column which is um really key for the 1921 that has been removed is what they call the infirmity column so the column in which people could declare or have declared for them if they were infirm or blind or deaf That's taken out of the 1921 census. Now,
3: you would have thought that people would have wanted that because they would have wanted to know, like, uh, what kind of services those people would require. And
1: particularly given this point in history, it's, it's 1921. It's three years since the First World War has, for the large part, ended. We've just... The the Contemporary Society has just come out of an influenza pandemic. You would have thought that they would want to know about this. But the Royal Statistical Society was of the view that lay people could not be trusted or relied upon to impart this kind of information about themselves. And that's why it was taken out.
2: So many times in my career, going to parties or what have you, it's this question of why we do a census, why we have population numbers. And sometimes people, people's just... Lack of understanding about the fact that we just don't know how many people there are. We don't record where people are. People don't just know. It's not just, it's just not a known number. And it's so important, not just because of planning services, but also to be able to measure other things like rates of change. So if we, unemployment rates or what have you, the denominator, the number we're dividing by is the number of people in an area, so it's interesting for its own right how many people there are, what sort of people there are, but also to be able to calculate things like death rates and what have you. It's really such a fundamental part of understanding society that's one of the reasons we get so excited about it. Well, it is
3: if the number of people who are filling it in is high enough. Yes. What, what, what sort of percentage do you get?
2: So we were supremely well chuffed about the response rate we got for the 2021 census so 97 percent of people oh my uh, god no, no, that's Not fantastic. it was incredible achievement and i think um i think there's something about why do people fill the form in so mm. we we know that there was obviously there's legislation behind the census so um that you're required to fill it in you're liable to a fine if you if you don't what's the fine it's a thousand pounds but more than that i mean Uh, office of national statistics we take this really seriously about how much we value the data and we want people to fill in the form Mm. not feel the obligation to so being able to describe to people the reasons why we're going to use the data and not just for everybody but also for particular communities so that's one of the things that the census is able to do shine a light on on local area local
3: communities that's Um, fascinating isn't it mm. it's a bit like how we controlled people's behaviour during COVID. Half of it was, we really want you to do this for the good of the nation. And the other half was, however, if you don't, we'll fine you.
1: And I I think people are increasingly concerned and aware of how their personal information is used. And actually... That's one of the things that the 1921 and the 2021 census have in common Mm. because the 1921 census is the first census taken after the 1920 census act, which enshrined in law the requirement to keep that personal information, that data that identifies individuals private closed for a hundred years so that's the commonality Mm. between Mm. these two particular censuses. So that's why
3: we're here today talking Mm. about these two censuses that are a hundred years apart because we can talk in much more detail About the 1921, but we can talk in generalities about the 2021. But but the
1: legislation is still the same, and it's that piece of legislation that allows the statistical work that John and his team and his Mm. colleagues are working on, because you are allowed to do that enough statistical work that doesn't allow individuals to be identified. Yeah, we take
2: that we take that incredibly seriously. I cannot overemphasise the extent to which the richness of census data is also a risk that we don't want to disclose personal information about people so we take that incredibly seriously we've never lost census data we've never had leaks of census data all the way back so 200 and whatever it is years Mm -hmm. and we take the storage of that data when we get our census questionnaires 2021 was different because it was predominantly online so we got still got about two and a half million people filling in paper forms but we obviously we destroy those paper forms they no longer exist so we've scanned those and those paper forms no longer exist.
3: Jess was telling me before we started this that twice she'd seen on the telly recently where some Detective had accessed information on a recent census, which you never would in real life, isn't that right? No, absolutely,
2: we absolutely wouldn't because the data that we collect is for statistical purposes and that. Is not a statistical purpose to find out the whereabouts of somebody or other and we absolutely the legislation backs that up and though we have been asked we absolutely would, ne- would never do that because that's not a statistical
3: purpose. How do you make it that private?
2: So we protect the data by because we compile statistics we essentially have a, a really super secure environment uh, and we control access to essentially ONS staff and then the statistics that we produce we go through some really rigorous process. I'm not gonna go through the the, the, the statistical bit of that, mm-hmm. but we make sure that every release that we produce is not doesn't control any disclosive, doesn't release any disclosive information. Yeah. And that is a challenge because a little quiz question for you here. How many statistics do you think we'll produce from the twenty twenty one census? How many numbers? A million. A five billion. <laughs> so it's a big it's a lot of numbers. And we could produce more. But we don't do that because we don't want to disclose information about
3: individuals, because if we did that, we'd lose that public confidence. In the old days, how did they collect and collate the information for the census?
1: Individual households and institutions and vessels were given by hand at this point in time a copy of the the schedule for their, their property, Um, and that was given to the head of the household, or I assume whoever answered the door, but it was handed over to the household to be filled in and then collected back in. And then those forms were brought together by enumerators who were very carefully coordinated through a meticulous set of, in the 1921 example, postcards, because we have all the sample copies at the National Archives. There's a whole book of exactly how it was enumerated. It was meticulously planned. So it's filled in in a particular property, that sheet is collected and returned as part of an enum- an enumeration district and then that is returned to the registrar general to the census team and they work through those returns and start to compile statistical data and then for the nineteen twenty one, I've talked about this previously as as the first big data census because this is the first census where the information that's taken out from it, that's statistical information, some of which is common with what John's working on. It's the first time that it's computed. But the Computed in the nineteen twenties. When they're talking about computing They're talking about it as a sense of processing. So in this instance, the computers are actually 202 15 and 16-year-old girls who have been recruited through the local employment exchanges around Lambeth and Acton in order to to populate the staff of the census team, which grows from about fifty during normal years to about five hundred and fifty in a census year and the years after, as this big team comes together to process that information, and they're using tabulation, essentially punch cards.
3: Why would you choose? Well, why is it gendered? Yeah. And why are they so young? I, I, to be honest, I would have thought if I'd be if I'd been in charge, I would have chosen sixty year old women, not sixteen year old. Well,
1: they chose. T- teenage girls and the rationale was twofold. In the first instance, they thought that they were sufficiently young that they would not be afraid of new technology, which I think is probably a fair summary. They were also chosen because at 15 or 16, they're unlikely to have had bad habits drilled into them. So essentially, the census team could train them up to work within the confines of the census office in the way that they they chose to and they wouldn't come into this sort of scenario with, with bad habits around either processing or editing or whatever but essentially that they could mold them into the workers they needed them to be for this purpose either they knew nothing about 15 year old girls or they've changed enormously over the last hundred years well the school leaving age has changed quite a lot oh, since yeah, then yeah. of course so these are young women he will have been working for potentially a couple of years at yeah. this point um so i i know from the names of some of the census girls which i actually came across accidentally so you know sometimes you leave a marker in a in a book to show where you're up to in your piece of work they did that then and one of the pieces of paper i realized was actually a um it was a nomination form for the civil service sports and social club for the registrar general's team Mm. and they were looking for nominees from the census girls as they called them, to be part of that civil service sports and social club. And it has the names of the nominees on the back. Mm. And a couple of them had quite unusual surnames. So knowing that they're probably younger than 20, I could then go and look at the 1921 census and go, aha, you're here. So I could see that a couple of them had worked for the Ministry of Pensions before they'd come to the census team so you can kind of see those young women moving around.
2: It's really interesting isn't it because we had uh, working with colleagues in uh, Republic of Ireland and they were at a different stage to us with with their census development and they had to take the decision to not do an online census it was all paper and as part of that they said "We try to turn it around try to turn that into a positive and came up with the idea of this uh, it was a time capsule idea so actually on the paper questionnaire there was a blank box at the end and it was said leave a message for future generations so oh, in 100 years really? time people can look at what you and obviously the, the data be protected for for a hundred years yeah. and you can write in whatever you want and you can imagine probably what some people yeah. some people wrote in but um, talking to colleagues over there people were doing pictures and writing songs and writing messages as, as well as some perhaps more unsavoury things but obviously it was you know people weren't going to look at that for a hundred years and then the idea of colleagues coming to that and being able to see that family historians it was a fascinating idea a really lovely idea
3: that's such an inspired <coughs> idea actually hmm. isn't it that you would actually be able to get a snapshot of culture Mm. through doing that and you'd know where it was i was involved in in an awful lot of those millennial caches of treasure and 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 stuff Mm. that schools buried in the ground within five years no one knew where they were (laughs) they they tried to invite me back to 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 re-dig a few of them no no one can remember (laughs) But one of the great things I think about the census is it's so kind of chunky. We're not going to lose it, are we? We're absolutely not going to lose it, I can guarantee you of that. Although having said that, didn't one catch
1: fire? Yes, so there's actually a gap in censuses in England and Wales between 1921, which has now been released, and there now won't be a census released until the 1951 census comes out because the 1931 census was taken it was analyzed the statistical reporting for it was done And then it was transferred to the Ministry of Works store at Hayes, which went up in smoke in the 1940s due to a carelessly discarded cigarette. We all pulled that face. Let that be a lesson to you. The 1941 census wasn't taken because we were at war. So the next census that's going to be released is the 1951 census. And I have the horrible realisation that I'm still going to be working when (laughs) that comes out.
3: You're listening to Tony Robinson's Cunning Cast with me, Tony Robinson, and my special guests this week, the Data Whizzes, Jessamy Carlson and John Smith. John, I haven't asked you how technically the last census was created.
2: It was a really nerve-wracking thing to think, on that census day... There's going to be this huge spike of people are going online and completing the form. So it was nerve-wracking to think, is the system going to take it? And we hear a lot about uh, government inf- IT infrastructure projects uh, when they when they go wrong. You don't hear anything about them when they 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 go well. But actually, our system stood up incredibly well. Everybody got online. There weren't any service disrupt- disruption issues, and millions of people went on that online on that day and filled in the form. Which it must was have been
3: incredibly exciting for you on that day. Paint me paint me a picture of your office. How many people? so the office was
2: completely empty there was nobody in at all the whole thing was done online so obviously at the time it was during the lockdown so we were all working from home uh we were joining sort of online calls every day there was a sense of incredible excitement and anticipation but also that overwhelming dread that something would go wrong and we'd be in we'd be in trouble over the past 10 years, there have been instances of where censuses haven't gone very well. What, in other uh, countries? Yeah, so in, in, in New Zealand and, uh, and to a certain extent Australia, things have not gone as, as expected and the response rate had been much lower. We put a huge amount of effort into making sure that that system was as easy as possible to, to, to fill in. Another quiz question for you. Of the people who filled in the census online, what percentage of people filled it on a mobile phone? Okay. Uh,
3: I'm going to uh, say 30%. Yes. I'm going to go for 45 So it's a 56%. Wow. So which so is long, an incredible
2: achievement. Yeah. And and the yeah. idea of being able to do that and it being easy, we had a, one of my favourite features with this, this kind of Welsh toggle you could do, so t- toggle between the Welsh form and the English form. That ability to make it as easy as possible for the people to complete... I mean, the world was a very different place in 1921. Filling in forms and what have you and and, and going online and filling in forms, people do that on a regular basis. But perhaps their patience for things wasn't as great as it was back then. So we were very conscious that we had to make it as easy as possible for people. We would love to ask Five thousand questions uh, on on everything about the set, you know every characteristic in, 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 in the country, pets or what have you, pets. Um, but we knew that that burden was really important to people, and we wanted people to fill in all the questions that we wanted to ask. So so we 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 did limit the number of questions.
3: As we've raised the pets issue, <laughs> you said that in the 1921 census, some people in their pets. There
1: were. I I was actually looking back at this for previous censuses too and there was a gentleman in the 1911 who justified including his cat on the basis that the cat ate at the same table and slept in the same rooms as all of the human children so why should the cat not be included? Fair enough. But yes there are a variety of animals that crop up and actually our colleagues at Find My Past have done this brilliant google map where you can see where all the animals and birds and indeed insects are are um enumerated around the country so there were um there were cats there were dogs there were beetles in Swindon There was a, a gentleman called Frank Williams who was a dairy manager living on the commercial road and at the bottom of his census form he wrote I own one dog, no cats nor like items, but beetles are here by the thousand mm-hmm. There are ferrets in Splot There are canaries in Bristol Plenty of cats in North London uh, There was a cat called Ginger in Stratford um, There was a rat in the Neiman household which is sort of uh, they were down in, um, in Vauxhall I think it was Yeah, a cat called Tarzan in Stoke Newington and a cat called Ginger in Stratford. But yeah, various people very much seeing those animals as part of the um, the family or possibly just testing the limits of the census form. Right. The pet bit
3: is in parenthesis. What I really want to ask Mm. you about is the story that uh, the press picked up about the most recent census, which was sexual orientation.
2: Yeah. So we had. I, I talked earlier about the new questions that we introduced, and there were there were three really. So the one about uh, sexual orientation, one about gender identity, and also one about uh, veterans. So if you previously served uh, as part of the UK armed forces. All those subjects we were incredibly proud to be able to collect statistics on, and we did that because there weren't reliable statistics from other places. Sexual orientation question was, was new. We found 43.4 million people were straight or uh, heterosexual, and 1.5 million people, 3.2% of the population, were LGB+. Plus. And it's it's been fascinating the, the you interest... Said
3: LGBT plus. Did yeah. You said not so you didn't do a thing on trans people?
2: So that was part of the gender identity question, question though, uh, which yeah. is a different question but it was amazing that the the way that that the release of those numbers has really resonated with that that community so i talked earlier about the census maps uh, that are available so yeah. people could explore see pictures of their local area and to be able to see those numbers and actually people had printed out posters of their local area to show the statistics of of uh, where there were populations of LGB plus printing out po- uh, uh, t-shirts and what have you. I never thought people would do that with with our statistics, but it just demonstrated how, how that resonated with That's
3: people. That's great. It's not what I would have expected. I would have thought that people would have said, mind your own business, but they're, they're going, we live in Brighton and we've got loads of gay people here. I, think, so. well, I think it's it, part of it is about, I mean, the census has always been about
2: um, self-identification of communities. Yeah. So
1: And representation. And
2: representation. So the Cornish population, for example, identifying how big the of that community actually is. So what
3: did you mean when you said and representation very seriously? Then?
1: I, I just think being able to, to see yourself in public documentation is really important for mm. people to be able to recognise people who are like you who you identify with whether that's contemporary mm. or historic I think, it, I think it's really important I think it's one of the most powerful things we do at National Archives when we work with particularly with school children is to be able to show them people like them In the past to be able to show them that whilst their circumstances are obviously unique to them but they're not necessarily the only people who've lived through times like this, circumstances like this, in places like them.
3: Was there any way in the older censuses whereby people could express a bit more of themselves other than simply that they lived in a house?
1: Yes, so this is an opportunity for people to speak to government and they took it so we don't see it quite as much in the 1921 as we have for example in the 1911 census so the 1911 census was quite dominated by protests around um, women's rights so you see um, women particularly writing about you know no, no vote no census Uh, Mary Hare who was um, the headmistress of a school for deaf children um, in the south of England she made sure she wasn't at home on the night of the census and then if you look at her form it shows that the enumerator went round to try and get information about her and noted that she had purposefully evaded it. On the grounds of her political beliefs. Now by 1921 the situation has changed, the representation of the People Act has been passed, some women and more men have the vote now, so that type of protest has rapidly diminished. In 1921 people were more likely to be protesting their own personal circumstances from people who are very angry about the situation in which they find themselves living. So you have people talking about what's going on in their lives and how they feel they're not supported by the government and how upset and let down and betrayed they feel about this through to people who just say, you know, there's one gentleman who wrote, times are hard, please help us and it's really poignant and then you have people who have, frankly quite ranty responses so you get people who have filled in every single space on the form because they have something they wish to say to government and this is their opportunity and they are taking it so you have people who've written quite lengthy diatribes about their views on society and politics and government at this point in time and they but nothing about them.
3: sexual orientation
1: it's not a question that's asked explicitly at this point but that's not to say that we don't see people who are in same-sex relationships he who would who might identify as gay or lesbian or trans in the census because those people are there in 1921 homosexuality is illegal which makes it a very different space to be publicly declaring yourself however we do still see people essentially telling us that you know they are, they are living in those relationships where we we see quite a lot of joint head of household or Mm. co-head of household appearing amongst people that we know to have been in same-sex relationships and then running a keyword search on that going, okay, so we know these people who we know to be gay or lesbian or trans um, identifying themselves in this way okay so are there other people and my colleague Vicky has blogged about this brilliantly and you can look at that in the National Archives blog and she talks about this at length but we we start to see other groups of people positioning themselves, identifying in that same way and particularly around that co-head of household that idea that they're Actually, it's not so much as as expressing their sexuality, but they're they're expressing their equality in the household within a relationship. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that's really interesting.
3: Interesting because so often we we're governed by where we are now, and we think that the ideas that we have and the attitudes that we have are just contemporary. But the idea that in 1921, two women would say we are both in charge of this household is kind of moving, isn't it? Yeah,
1: absolutely. What about the king? Did the king fill in the census? Twice in 1921, except it wasn't actually him, it was the master of the household. So, as I mentioned earlier, there were 27 types of census form for the 1921 census, mostly in English, but also some in Welsh. One of the options is an E form, so that's the standard household schedule for England in English and there is one of those for the royal household for the immediate royal family filled in by the um, master of the household and we can see that because on the flip side of the 21 census you have the form and it has all the information about the family and on the other side it tells you who filled the form in, um, and there is also a signature, so we know who's filling it in for Windsor Castle. So we have an E form for Windsor Castle for 1921, and then we have an III form, which is the largest type of institutional form, and I think it has 209 people listed on it for the broader population of Windsor Castle, and the King is also on that. So for the 1921, the King turns up twice. <whistles>
3: John what about migration I mean Mm. that's like a a real big issue for a lot of people nowadays Mm. and yet we only do a snapshot of one day can you capture a sense of what people's movements throughout Mm. the country are the sense is incredible thing but there's some things that it's not amazing
2: at in terms of migration patterns over time that the sort of ebb and flow of those migration patterns uh, and we do surveys on on an ongoing basis and we use other data sources to measure flows of migration the thing that the census is quite magical about is its ability to look over time by asking that question on country of birth to say the stocktake of the population as it is today where were people born and you can see Previous migration trends in that country of birth profile. So, when we ran a census uh, 10 or 20 years ago, we saw far fewer people from from Romania. And we know with change with the EU since the 2011 census, there has been a a significant increase in the number of people from Romania. So, for for example, uh, in 2001, Romanian was the 86th most common country of birth, and it's now the fourth. Uh, It's gone from 80,000 people born in Romania uh, in 2011 to over half a million people born in Romania. We can also see um, population of people from Poland, mm-hmm. so EU expansion prior to the last census. And then we can also see the kind of a longer term migration pattern. So you can see people who were born in uh, Jamaica, for example. And we can see how that's that profile's changed in terms of the people born in the UK. So uh, in the 2001 census, uh, Jamaica was the sixth most common country of birth and now it's down to the 20th most common country of birth you can also see uh, India is the most common country of birth and Ireland in 2001 it was the most common country of birth and now it's down to to fifth so we can see that that change over time what I think is really interesting about this census is that we don't just collect that as a concept we have this range of different concepts like country of birth National identity, whether you regard yourself as uh, uh, as British, uh, language spoken, um, because we know these com- these concepts are quite complex and they're interrelated in terms of how they how they operate. We collect these statistics, but we know that other people will do research on these numbers um, to be able to get that sort of deeper insight.
3: Do lots of other countries have national censuses, and are we really good at it? We are really good.
2: <laughs> we are really good. I would say that. Um, uh, so, ninety-seven percent response rate is is uh, absolutely Premier League in terms of uh, in terms of response rates. The Canadians tend to be really good, annoyingly good, but they do one every five years, so they get more practice. Uh, the Americans, uh, the U.S. Uh, census Bureau undertake a census, as do Australia. And there are many other countries in the world that, that, that undertake them. Countries in Europe are a sort of mix of approaches. So in some countries, particularly in Scandinavia, they have something called a population register. Um, so they're, you're required to tell the government by law about when you move. Uh, we don't have that system in in, in the UK. There's a growing uh, kind of desire to move to using administrative data, so other government data that's collected to be able to produce these types of statistics more more often. And ONS has an aspiration to be able to do that as well. We get super excited about census data. To be able to do that on a more regular basis would be absolutely incredible. The problem, one of the issues with the census is it's amazing for now, but the, that 10 year gap when it comes to policy making, decision making, we need those numbers to be as up to date as possible. Um, so we've got that aspiration to move into that kind of model.
3: Is the census vulnerable, you know, given the financial crises that we've had over the last five or six years, anything that is anything to do with the state apparatus, mm-hmm. there are going to be MPs who mm-hmm. say, let's get rid of this thing.
2: What's not vulnerable is the idea of being able to produce census-type statistics. So uh, it's, I think it's very widely recognised that understanding the society and the economy is absolutely fundamental to any modern democracy, it's absolutely critical we do take that burden on on the public really seriously and we want to be able to be responsive to government and the public to be able to measure the population the census a traditional census may not be the best way to do that uh, we're making a recommendation to parliament by the end of this year about what that statistical system looks like for population and migration statistics so i don't think it's vulnerable in a sense of be able to create these of statistics be able to create this insight we may change how we uh, the model for for that we use moving away from traditional centers perhaps we may we may stick to to doing it like that many other countries in the world are looking at similar sorts of approaches
3: i would make a plea a that whatever you suggest to government it remains independent because to me that is the the great beauty of it mm. it's not like the doomsday book which is wonderful mm. but actually it was about people going looking for taxes and the anglo-saxons mm. did one called the Burgle heidish mm. which is the, the same thing but it is so kind of skewed the great thing is mm. the is the democratic feel of it and i love the idea <clears throat> of having a little space where you can just say what you like i think it's brilliant
2: yeah. we work really hard to be able to demonstrate that the numbers are completely independently produced and we've got really robust methods behind them and the quality of the statistics is 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 absolutely up there some favorite things
3: jesse I, I know you've come in with, <coughs> with you got lists with some oh, <laughs> oh, yeah i'll uh, outdo me <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you your top three
1: i mean i've already alluded just, to the sorry
3: i've just spilt my coffee over <laughs> the so you carry on while i mop up
1: one of the sweetest things i actually found was with newborn babies obviously hundreds of babies are born Mm -hmm. every day and there was one we were looking at actually for one of my colleagues where we were looking at one of his um, great-grandparents and he knew that his great-grandfather's birthday was census day and sure enough if you look at the census form um it says baby boy and then in, in the age column which was years and months for 1921 it just says baby born today mm-hmm. and that's quite sweet I, I really like the census girls i think the idea of those 202 teenage girls brought in and their role in this is just from a sociological point of view as well as a historical one absolutely fascinating uh, i'd love to find out more about them but unfortunately they didn't keep the staff lists so (laughs) trying to piece them together is is quite tricky.
2: John have you got any favourite things? The 2021 census was the first where we found more people aged over 65 than aged under 16. Mm. There were more old people than there were younger people. That's
3: a really important statistic. It's absolutely critical
2: and and I think it's really important to be able to say it's an interesting statistic you know right but it also makes you stop and think and you think that's an ageing population, and that's obviously what we've got in, in England and Wales, but it kind of brings it brings it to life about what that means. So that's one of my favourite statistics, that's quite a serious one. I talked about uh, running a digital census, we made really, really clear that if anybody ever wanted a paper questionnaire, we would make one available to them. But by getting essentially 89% of, of households who completed the census form did it online, we saved, we think, about 450 million pieces of paper. Which is a—it's a big number, not as big as my five billion census statistics, but it's a huge, huge amount of, uh, and this day and age, that's really important. My third is probably you remember maybe Jedi's in the two thousand and one. Census. Oh, from Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, for people putting their their religion as Jedi. There was a
1: campaign, wasn't there? There was a
2: campaign. It was uh, a lot of fun. So 390,000 people put Jedi in two thousand one. No, as the religion. Oh, the religion. And we see it's not the return of the Jedi, it's more the demise of the Jedi, or as others have phrased it, Jexit. 2021, 1,600 people put. Jedi as the religion, um, despite the Disney franchise. So, yeah, so that's one of the really significant changes, and that's obviously in the context of religion as being one of the big stories from the census. In this census, there was a decrease in the number of proportion of people and the number of people who put themselves down as as Christian, quite a significant change. So it went from 33 million to 27 and a half million, which is a real sizeable change in how people define themselves. In terms of a societal change, it's a really, really fascinating insight
3: have you done any work on my antecedents in other words hackney where i was born and my mum and dad were born
2: so we i thought it'd be interesting to see how well you knew hackney now in 2021 so in terms of the average age of england and wales is or median age but basically average uh was 40 hackney in 2021 was that younger or older you? oh younger
3: definitely younger mm. all those uh, yeah, all those young people hip moving people. into it. Yeah, hip so it's people. Now, it's
2: now 32.
3: Um, I was going to say that. <laughs> oh, sorry. I am just breathing into 32. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> Honest, honest.
1: <laughs> I was very intrigued because when I went looking for statistics on Hackney, Hackney's actually quite mid-table for London boroughs. It's neither, you know, kind of in the great heights or in the great depths in terms of most of the statistical fields that the 1921 looked at. The one where it stood out was um, it was one of the boroughs with the fewest number of flats in London. So only 9% of buildings That's in Hackney in the 1921 census were flats.
3: That's interesting. I wonder whether it's because there were so many of those little Victorian houses. I think
1: so because 82% of the housing stock in Hackney were individual residences. It was 9% above shops and factories, 9% flats and 82% kind of domestic residences yeah. like that. But that was amongst the lowest and then so Woolwich had the lowest. So that was 4%.
3: Looking forward, what is your cunning plan for the census? So I think
2: the cunning plan has got to be, for this census, the 2021 census, exactly how we we make the most out of the data. So we know that we're able to produce statistics, but if we don't get those statistics into the hands of the people who make decisions, then it's all a bit of a that we haven't recognised that full value. When we're talking about where we put schools and hospitals and all the rest of it, there can be a plan no more cunning than that, can there? Mm. That's the most important thing. So it's not really about us as statistics uh, office, it's about the people who make those decisions So getting those numbers into the hands so that uh, the cunningest of cunning plans can be, can, be for, can be realised.
1: So for me, as an archivist and a historian, the census is a gateway. It's a way of piquing someone's interest and going. Here is a place or a person or a community that matters to you, that makes you want to find out more and makes you feel like archives are a space you are able to be, are entitled, are allowed to be in, and giving people the confidence to step foot into that world and start to try and find things that that. I so say just just pique that interest, and there's nothing there's nothing better as. As someone who works at National Archives to be in the reading room and I can only describe it as a squeak. There is a very particular squeak that you hear just out of the corner, you know, you just you just glance at it when someone has found something that they're really excited about and they don't quite know what to do with it, and you, you just hear this little squeak because they've seen something on the screen that's made them go, Wow, or mm. that's my family, or that's my house. Mm. Everyone has the right to be looking at this material, to be understanding, to be getting something from it.
3: For people who want to know more about anything, really, census-related, whether... John's contemporary stuff or or, or Jess's older stuff what do they do how do they find out I advise people just googling census maps as being a
2: really nice product to be able to have a play with census data and where do you
3: find the census maps it's on the ONS website you
2: can just google google census maps and it will be one of the top top searches and it enables you to look at and incredible level of detail, even down to neighborhood level, all those dimensions of the census data, but it really brings it home. And you can literally play for hours by just exploring your area, where you went on holiday last year, where you grew up, where you went to university, where your mum and dad look, all those things just to be able to get a feel for feel for an area it's just absolutely fascinating
1: and if it's the historic census that you're interested in the National Archives has research guides on our, our website nationalarchives.gov.uk you can look at the research guides of the census which has a really lengthy history um, of everything you might need to know the great power of, of an archive is that everyone is welcome anyone can come to the National Archives and look at the census whether you're six or 60 you know everyone is welcome
3: thank you ever so much both of you john roth smith jess carlson i hope we've managed to turn a few more people on to the glory that is the national census and just one little plug for the office of national statistics and the national archive their names which kind of drift past most people's consciousness but they both hold within them our history our communities, our culture and don't forget, if you want a really good squeak, go to the National Archive <laughs> Thanks for listening, if you want to join in the conversation, you can find me on Twitter at Tony underscore Robinson and you can follow all our podcast news on Twitter and Instagram at CunningcastPod and please 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 don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode I'm Tony Robinson this is my cunning cast produced by Melissa Fitzgerald and it's a zinc media production
0: When you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy